Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to The Friday Show. It's a show that's proudly following in the footsteps of Ernest Shandford, who on July the 23rd, 1966, did a radio broadcast from his own home, where he predicted England would beat Germany 4-2, with Jeff Hurst scoring a hat-trick. A point of trivia, Ernest's cousin was the first policeman on the scene when the Jules Ramey trophy was discovered by Pickles the dog. None of that's true, by the way, it just sounded good. Um, that's... I'm fibbing because there's really not a lot to talk about today. Uh, just a small matter of England playing in the final of a major tournament for the first time in 55 years. For such a momentous event, we thought it only right and proper to turn to our very own three Lions in the form of Asan, Howard and Chris. Asan, you well? Very good, mate. How are you? I'm fibbing, but that aside, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Strangest intro I've ever done. <laughs> Did, did anyone buy that? Did they, no, no one bought that. I was going to put it in the next quiz, but if you've made it up, then... I've completely made it up, mate. yeah. So, um, I was thinking, saying you're looking forward to Sunday's big game. Uh, I am. I mean, my, my obviously, my interest in the Euros has grown the further England have gone in the tournament. And I feel as though the last kind of eight or nine days, I've, I've watched nearly all the games. Uh, mm. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And to... I mean, obviously, we'll talk about it later, but... I've enjoyed watching England play football and I can't remember the last time that hmm. I said that with some regularity, if that makes sense. Or even, it, it, I can't remember the last time I said it without a caveat. So I've enjoyed watching England play, but it's I've not really had that for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, I feel much the same. Um, Howard, are you well? Yeah, fine, thank you. Not good, bad. good, good. It's Friday. Um, it is, yeah, Freaky Friday. Um Chris, how are you, sir? Yeah, I'm good. Um, it's been a busy week, but as Howard says, it's Friday and the sun is trying to shine. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a day off tomorrow. But it's, uh, yeah, Try- I'm good. Trying to shine is as good as it gets in the north of England. <laughs> yeah. <tomorrow. laughs> um, but before we turn to the kind of the, the big final, the, the big game, I mean, God, it doesn't get any bigger, frankly, but uh, let's look back at the semi final, uh, which in itself was, a, you know, heightened drama and you know a lot riding on it obviously um what struck me about it is for such a game of importance England played the game in a very controlled and professional manner and this very much strikes me as kind of a Southgate way of doing things um Asan Southgate has mentioned many times in the past of his huge admiration for Guardiola do you see a resemblance in how kind of particularly in the last 10 minutes of extra time how England kind of manage that game with how City manages games? Um, yeah, I mean, a little bit. I think I, I think that the England team still have maybe a little bit of a distance to do before we can say that they play Guardiola football. But I know I, I, see exactly what you're, I see exactly what you're driving at. I think, you know, one of the things that really struck me um, in the Denmark game was particularly in the second half is just how much fitter than, than them we were. Um, and I wonder if I've seen many teams in the tournament who are fitter than this England team. Um, if you look at the sprints that Sterling or Walker are doing in the last, you know, in the last 10 minutes of extra, of, of normal time or into extra time, uh, it's pretty incredible. I think, you know, even somebody like Mason Mount, the amount of ground that he covers, Phillips as well. I mean, it just, there, there's, they are very, very, very fit and they can run a lot. And I think that, 
you know, that is giving them or has given them an advantage uh, over the course of the tournament. I think it's going to shout uh, as a bit of a concern, really, for kind of the teams such as City. Uh, you think of Leeds with kind of Phillips, you know, these lads need a break, though. There is a, there is a point, isn't there, where, you know, they're playing too much football. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I have my doubts about how many of the England lads uh, play the first Premier League game for City. Mm. So, you know, the tournament is going to end on, uh, what, the 11th of July, right? Our preseason begins the following Monday. <laughs> I, wouldn't I wouldn't expect any of the England lads to be back before August. And if they're not back before August, then, you know, I'm not sure any of them or how many of them start that first game against Spurs. Yeah, oh, good. Um, I was laughing then because it just never stops. Does it? No, <laughs> it's just exactly. I saw I saw a tweet um, a few days ago uh, from uh, Paris Saint Germain welcoming Ander Herrera back for preseason <laughs> training, and I was just like, "Wow, <laughs> we're still in the middle of a tournament." That <laughs> it was just this, uh, back for that Europa Conference League games yesterday <laughs> oh, <laughs> when I went into Bet Three Six Five. So yeah, they've already got the qualifying underway for next season. So. <laughs> Um, Howard, I want to talk about the performance of England's backline, um, particularly Stones and Walker, of course. Um, Stones, for me, has been impeccable uh, at the Euros. Walker was one poor performance, or certainly one poor half, and then since then, he, he too has been impeccable and was just magnificent, frankly, against Denmark. Also, Maguire and Shaw, though, they've been really impressive, um, particularly the latter, because I was in that camp where I thought Luke Shaw had it, but wasn't showing it throughout his career. He is now. Um, how impressive have you been with that back four? Well, I mean, they've not, you know, they finally conceded a goal, but it's still not conceded a goal in open play. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that speaks volumes, to be honest. Look, it's not the most gunko England side after all. <clears throat> You've got Rice and Phillips in front of them as well, who will contribute to that. It's not just about the back four or five. But yeah, I don't think there's been... I mean, Walker was, what, he's poor for about 30 minutes-ish? Yeah. Or dodgy, might be erratic or whatever. The first 30 minutes of this tournament uh, settled down in the second half, definitely, and hasn't looked back since, uh, unless he's out sprinting someone to get recover the ball, of course. Uh as we said on the last one, Stones has barely been mentioned. That's absolutely fine. Just keep talking about Maguire. Let him get on with it. <laughs> yeah, they, sure. uh, and yeah, the full-backs, I mean, obviously we're just overloaded with options at full-back, but Shaw's, yeah, he's been excellent. So, yeah, it surprised me in a way because I think going into the tournament, you say, well, where's the weakest area? Well, it's probably centre-half, not because of the two that are playing, but there's not much behind them if anyone picks up an injury. And of course, Maguire had to be eased into the tournament himself. So, yeah, I mean, Maguire and Stones have put up a brilliant partnership. Uh, our fullbacks have been excellent. Uh, it's going to be one of many key areas on Sunday that we go into that final, still with you know, what is essentially the tightest defence that any team's had in the tournament. Yeah. And Chris, how important is Harry Maguire, the fitness of Harry Maguire, as regards to John Stone's form? I mean, obviously, we've seen Stone's brilliant all season long in the City, but 
it does strike me that if take McGuire out of the equation and then Stones becomes the leader in, at the back there, he's the one who has to kind of guide either Cody or Mings through games. Um, whereas now, the kind of dynamic works better for him, doesn't it? I think any centre-half pairing, if you look back over history, not just internationally, but kind of domestic leagues as well, the centre-half pairing, there usually is a leader and then a deputy. Um, mm. And they, they they bring the best out in each other. Um, you know, and, and I think that, I think St- Stones is such a hugely improved player who's found a way to let his real talent and skill set emerge, um, particularly at City in, in, in the last season, but also for England now. Um, I, I still don't think he, he, he's a natural leader. And I think of the two of them, Maguire is the more natural leader, but sometimes, you know, it, it's, 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 um, it, it's the sum of the parts which is greater. And yeah. uh, you know, and I and I think that w- what I see now is is, uh, and I'm seeing that across all all of the teams. To be honest, well, the thing that struck me about um, uh, the, the thing that struck me about the game against Denmark was it was at, what was it their four their, their sixth their, their sixth game that they no was it the foot no the fifth game no the, the, sorry the, their together, sixth game they played yeah. together in this tournament, yeah. and so that's when you start to really see how. Usually, a team grows into a tournament and they learn how to play in that tournament. Most often, if you look at international tournaments, the team that starts incredibly, like the first two games, they are absolutely incredible. Often, they don't get to the final because they sort of, they don't have anywhere to progress to. And I've seen City, uh, sorry, I've seen England progress and, be, and 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 the dynamic start to shift. So what I'm seeing is a lot of the players, because apart from one or two rotational changes, the starting eleven is tending to be the same now. And so what I'm seeing now is there's now an understanding and a trust between. Um, Stones and and Maguire, which is something you just can't buy, and something which can only come through um, uh, a regularity uh, of playing together. So yeah, I think I think that they do re- work really well together, and they bring the best out in each other. Well, further forward and talking about bringing the best out of himself, Raheem Sterling has been phenomenal um, these past few weeks. Ace Energy, England's play the tournament. He is for me, but. I think everybody knows I've got a bit of a still. <laughs> I mean, um, no, I mean, I, I, genuinely, I think that he's been the catalyst for uh, everything that's been good about the attacking play. Uh, and I think ultimately coming into the tournament, that was everybody's biggest fear was that England would be too negative, that they wouldn't be able to create chances, that they would, you know, that they'd basically be safety first and not much fun to watch. I think England have been pretty fun to watch, mainly because of Raz. Yeah. Can I just come in on that one, Stu? Just come in on that. I think what's really important as well is that the big difference between this England team and every every England team is that we're playing a system that the manager and the players trust. And in in that respect, that you can see where there are some overlaps with Guardiola's approach to the game and, and then Southgate's approach to the game. He believes in the system. The, the key thing he kept, the key message he kept reiterating in the semi-final was stay calm, stay calm, trust each other and tr- trust in the system. But mm. for any system that works, there always needs to be a pressure point that the opponent can't deal with. So like when City keep the ball 
for like minutes, pass, pass, pass. Eventually, there's a pressure point where the, the opponent can no longer contain them. And if you look at England's progression through this tournament, most of the key pressure points that have, that have unpicked the opponent, Raz has been at the heart of it. And 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 the way he's pressed opponents, the way he's, the way the way he's he's asked questions of them. And if you look, the thing that really blew me away it was a tiny thing. But when Kane played that that beautiful ball through to Saka, which came to the which came to our equalising goal, you watch Raz's reactions. As soon as he sees that goes through, the speed with which he reacts and makes his way into that six yard box, creating that pressure point with the outcome being that the, the centre-half ends up putting it, the ball into his own net. And so, yeah, he, he's been so instrumental to to England's development over the tournament. But also, he's just... His confidence at the minute is almost off, is off the scale. I've never seen him play with such... Even in the 17-18 season for City, where he was absolutely, he was beaming with confidence. For England, the level of confidence and the way he manages that, because let there be no doubt, despite all the accolades he's getting and that he's suddenly a media darling again, he's one missed penalty away from getting a load of shit on social media again. Do you know what I mean? And he carries that burden with him. So he's, for me, he's, he's not just his playing ability, but his character in this, in this tournament has been Absolutely extraordinary. It's, I'd yeah. say it's one missed pass away from getting loads of <laughs> Yeah. And that, and the mental tough, above all, you know, how good a player is he, the mental toughness yeah. Yeah. is astonishing, to be honest, because I don't, let's be honest, he didn't come into this tournament in a good place, so to speak. His form for City hadn't been great. There was a great clamour for him to be dropped. Southgate stood by him, which I'm sure meant the world to him. But he could easily have crumbled. I mean, he just has so many detractors. Whatever he does, he has so many detractors at club and national level, but especially at national level. Even now, people are still trying to find excuses not to compliment him. And, you know, I don't want to bring, bring nastiness into this uh, euphoric podcast, but there can only be one reason for that. You know, when you're still scrambling yeah. around to criticise him, you've got mm. to wonder where yeah. that's coming from now. Uh, it's fine to say if he's in poor form that he's in poor form because that's just stating facts and you know but he is one of the player of the tournaments doesn't matter to me whether he gets it or not I just wanted to have one more good game uh, but what shines through above all the toughness to put in these performances in this tournament is astonishing for me and that toughness has not always been there he's always kind of when you see kind of old videos of him he's been confident as a player but as a person that toughness wasn't there to begin with he's had to develop that I mean you know about that kind of um, interview given with Tribune um, where he says about going to his mum and, and asking his mum why are they doing this to me why are they basically picking mm. on me you know so he's developed that and, and I, I just kind of explain how much admiration I've got for him as a person I've been critical of him as a player in the last six months but never as a person he's just like I say, phenomenal Um I think also, sorry, sorry. I just wanted to say, I think also yeah. we we sometimes forget um, how young, young footballers are, if that makes sense. Mm. In that, you know, you kind of try and project yourself back to being 18, 19, 20, 21 and dealing with a public facing job where you're the front page of newspapers. And I think that's, that's where, you know, when you talk about he's had to develop that toughness, mm. that's because 
I think it's sink or swim. When when the tabloids go after you in the way that they went after Sterling, he was so young that at that point it really was sink or swim. And I think, you know, there's a lot of players who have got a lot of talent uh, who for whatever reason haven't, I don't think they've found their ceiling, right? This particular, I'm going to say this, there's a lot of black players in England who have a lot of talent who haven't found their ceiling because ultimately I think it it's a little bit harder for them. I think that they have to work a little bit harder for everything and have to be a little bit more careful of everything that they say and do, whether it be on social media or in terms of nights out. So I think the Sterling to develop that toughness at such a young age, because he's still only, what, 26, unless I'm mistaken? Yeah. I mean, that's still incredibly young, um, and yet he yeah. carries himself with the maturity of of a captain and a leader. Certainly for, for, for England, from what I've seen in this tournament, he really has been, it's felt like he's a leader both on and off the pitch. And if you look at the way that the other players talk about him, really feels like they view him as a leader. And that's, you know, again, that's a testament to the strength of character that he's developed, as you say, from the early days. And Howard, I, I want to come to you on this because basically you're the most pessimistic amongst us. <laughs> but kind of what? stay... Sorry. Well, <laughs> as regards to football, you are at least. Um, staying with Raz and seeing what kind of... Extending on what Aizan was saying there... He flew into that game. I mean, from the first minute, there was there was a moment in the first 60 seconds where he basically tried to take on two Danish players. He got past one, nearly got past the other, uh, and just carried on in that vein throughout. And about 30 seconds after that, there was a dangerous uh, um, situation down uh, the Danish left, and Kyle Walker just bullied, and there's no other word for it, he just bullied the Danish winger. Wrote, the ball is mine, you're not getting past me today. When you see things like that in a game, in the first two, three minutes, not only does it set the tone as the cliche goes, I mean, I just thought England are going to win tonight. As soon as you see that, uh, is that the same with you? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're going to win, but it's basically, you do take a lot of... <laughs> you make As fans, we make conclusions from the first 10 minutes, don't we? Yeah, the yeah. Sometimes you can tell when the team comes out, it's like, oh God, <laughs> they've come out completely wrong today. Uh, and that first 10 minutes before Denmark came back into it, was everything you wanted to see. Because at the end of the day, it's, this is, I know they were the semi three years ago, but this is this was different level in a way. Uh, a lot of players, it's still new to them. It's a semi-final in the Euros at home in front of 60,000 people in the stadium after a year of just nothingness, you know, emptiness. Mm. And they could have frozen that team. And they went behind for the first time. And they could have frozen yes. as well. Yeah. And very quickly they came back into the game. And they lost that control after about 15 minutes because of Denmark's pressing and they came back. And they could have frozen then as well. So, yeah, you could be, obviously Walker was up for it. It's, it's not just about Walker Sterling. It's like the team mentality just seems a bit different from, well, yeah, definitely from the Croatia of three years ago. Uh, it's just, I came, I said to you, you know, I came in as a no stress. Uh, tournament this for me as a fan because <laughs> City had exhausted me basically uh, yeah. and it's international football which I follow England and I want them to win but it will never mean the same and like Ace and you've grown into it and now I mean it's, it's a bit surreal in a way but you know 
47, I've never seen England in a final. So it's hard to comprehend in a way. I'm still relaxed about it because it's not City. But mm. come 8 o'clock on Sunday, <laughs> a ridiculous kickoff time, by the way, it, you know, I will be feeling those nerves just like I do for a, a City match. Maybe not to level the Champions League final, but I will for that. And I have more faith in this team now. Like City have progressed a few years ago, I have more faith you know, in their Champions League journey. I think it's very similar, this journey England have made as well, in that the biggest obstacle has now been broken is getting to the final. Mm. I think the pressure of the semi-final, in a way, might be a stupid thing to say, sounds ridiculous, is bigger than it will be for the final. I'm sure the players won't be feeling that way when they're trying to stay relaxed on Sunday. But the, the hard bit, they would have got that criticism so much if they messed up against Denmark. It's now not a free hit as such, but they've done enough to get the trust of the nation in that if they lose against Italy, I hope there won't be the recriminations that this team and the player, individual players have had in the past. Okay. So I think they've overcome a huge obstacle just by staying calm in that match. They've shown the togetherness as well and for slowly turning the screw on that Denmark side uh, yeah I think it bodes well for the future I still this is not the time to be discussing this because England have got to a final I still wonder if there's more to be got out of this squad by Southgate but as I've said before with a World Cup coming up next year I hope this is the start of how he develops this team into a more I don't know where he uses the squad more I don't know okay. but that's for another time anyway um, before we get to the final and looking ahead to Sunday, um, I just want to talk about patriotism. Um, being a Welshman, I'm, I'm extremely proud to be a Welshman. I've got this weird thing going on with England where I live close to the border, so I support England. I'm certainly not one of those kind of English haters. Um, but there's part of patriotism which kind of is a big turn-off for me. And I was just wondering if you guys agreed with me being English because, you know, it stands to reason I'm saying this being Welsh. But when I see you know, that England kind of lot, the kind of John Terry worshipping kind of, you know, that kind of quintessential Johnny Carling kind of England supporter. I just really get turned off by that. And it's like, I'm, I've, I've been kind of blanking it out throughout this tournament and it's made my the experience of the year is a lot better for me. I've been able to support England a lot better by not picturing them in, in the crowd, as so to speak. Chris, I mean, firstly, do you know what, what we're on about? Do you, do you empathise? Do you agree? Or, or how do you feel about that? I I know what you're talking about completely. I um so so the way patriotism is identified in this country, I categorically am not patriotic. Um, right. I, I I go I go I, I go to the polar opposite. So so for the things that are supposed to represent and symbolise what is great to be English, great great to be born in England, great to be part of the United Kingdom, I am just not patriotic. I I find so many of these things which are based on historic. Um, Activities such as like the empire and world wars and and just I yeah, I, yeah. I, I find repugnant and and I find it redundant uh, reference point. Inevitably, when England are doing well in a tournament or progressing quite well through stages of it, that that um, kind of obscene sense of entitlement starts to emerge from lots of England fans about almost like it's 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 pre, it's 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 destiny because we're England and we invented the game and all that kind of bullshit which comes around that so all these things that are um that people regard as patriotic they're not because for me they're fundamentally flawed and they're fundamentally often xenophobic racist you know and and you know and 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 so so I, that's what I 
that that's what I've always resisted when I followed England is I is I look at a lot of the fans on the stands and I think I couldn't feel further removed from you than than, than I do right right now but the way I view it is 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 I look at young English players and and feel proud about them particularly proud about the city players as yeah. well and I, and I look at it from a footballing point of view uh, England deserve to be in the final because they've been one of the best teams in the tournament. And all the chest beating, lion heart crap that comes there. I think I said it I said it last week in in, in, an, in another podcast. All these moments to savor that they've given us, you know, Gascoigne crying, Terry Butcher's bleeding forehead, all these things. Great. N- never given us trophies. Never, never actually given us something to really hang on to. It's all been about you know heroic failures. So to answer your question, no, I'm not patriotic. I'm proud of other things of being of my country. I'm proud of industry. I'm proud of arts and culture. I'm proud of the union, but I'm not proud of the things like uh, the monarchy and you know uh, global expansionism and the empire. I'm not proud of any of those things at all. They don't make me patriotic at all. But I have my own understanding of why I'm proud to be an English person. Fair enough. Um- Hey, Sam, when you um, look at this England team now, I mean, from my perspective, they are arguably the most likable of England teams in, in my lifetime. Um, Gareth Southgate is someone who I I like to, I, I warm to as a person, um, irrespective of, you know, how I think of him as a manager, which, you know, it's kind of, there's pros and cons to that. Do you, do you feel the same way? And does that matter to you? Does that feed into your investment in supporting England? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's a they're 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 likable, but they're likable because they feel like a team. They mm. feel like a squad. Um, you don't feel like you know. I remember watching. I guess this will be the cliche that a lot of people will use, but the kind of Lampard, Gerrard, Scholes, Ferdinand, Terry, Rooney generation of England players. It felt like you were watching club players at international. I don't know. It's 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 a very subtle thing that it it, I, it did. They didn't feel like a team. Even when you saw that England team play, they just didn't feel like a team. This team feels like a team, um, and I think that naturally that makes a big difference. I think you know the other thing is that whether we like it or not, everybody likes winning. And when you win, no matter how you win, when you, when you win, and certainly in the way that Southgate has built this team where in this tournament, it feels like they've improved game on game. You can't help but get caught up and invested in that, which I, I kind of agree with Chris that like, you know, when it comes to like, am I patriotic? No, I'm not really not. I've not lived, I've not lived long enough in England to be patriotic. Um, and, I don't really, I don't think that I'd ever go to an England game. I'm, I'm not sure, but right now, as, as, as I'm sat here, I think it's unlikely that I'll ever be moved in off, regardless of how big the game is to actually go to an England game. Um, but I take a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment in supporting from a distance this collection of players and this manager. Can I, can I just say something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would say I am patriotic, but I don't, I don't connect that to football in any shape mm. or form. So it's what Chris said about culture and you know yeah. sense of humour and the countryside and little things. Uh, and the last few years may have knocked that patriotism somewhat, but you know that's the world we live in. I was watching 
was the first of a three part on the Olympics last night about how England, uh, well, sorry, UK, uh, GBR were terrible at the Atlanta Olympics in 96 and how they, the lottery came in and they gave sports, you know, to get, to make us better at sports and yeah. culminating the 2012 Olympics, which was an amazing experience. And everything kind of went to pot in the country after that, after 2012. Uh, but it just reminded you of the togetherness that I felt on, I walked back from the pub on Wednesday night. And it was amazing in a way. After all, been stuck in, well, most of us have been stuck inside for 18 months. Uh, just walking back on a Wednesday night, you know, uh, a mile or so from the pub, and there's people out cheering, just <laughs> horns beeping constantly at people <laughs> as they went down the road. And it felt great, you know, just to see people happy. Uh, so, what, you know, it has been a, an amazing collective experience. Uh, but then again, yeah, the last England game I went to was. What was he called? The Wally with the Brolly McLaren at home to Croatia. There was casual racism all around me in the ground that night. It was a horrible match and a horrible experience for me to, you know. But what Chris said, I don't want, I, I've all the counterpoint is I don't want to, I'm sick of people saying on Twitter, this is why everyone wants England to lose when they see like a sun headline or something. Yeah. Because that's just bullshit. That, yeah. And not, Sun Headlines, sub-editor, is not speaking for the nation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's yes. no such thing as a characteristic Englishman. There just isn't. I mean, it's just like, it's not you, mate. You know, there's just, the, it's a melting pot, and mm. you shouldn't be, hate. I know it's natural, just to, it's media-led that narrative about, you know, the war, two world wars and all the, you know, the catchphrases when you, you know, doing bacon jokes because we're playing Denmark. It's oh, God. It, but that's nothing to do with most of the population. It's like, or yeah. the, the minority might be jingoistic, and, you know, nationalist or right-wing or whatever. So, look, most people wanted around Europe will want Denmark to have beaten England. But that's because they're the underdogs as well. Even if there was no media narrative, even if we never mentioned the war, that would still be the same. But overall, I'm patriotic, but I don't tie it to... England itself, but it is. I like that it's making it ha- people happy, and I see it is a boost. It's just see everyone cheers up when something like this happens, and it's been so long, and we need it right now. And but above all, as he said on this podcast already, they're just a likable squad. <laughs> yeah, I want to see John Stone. I want to see John. You know, not for me on Sunday. I want to see John Stones pouring champagne over his own head. Yeah. You know, and uh, <laughs> talking in Yorkshire slang with Carl Walker in the dressing room afterwards. And I just want I to see them happy. Regular. I don't want to see Carl Southgate happy, you know, for them as much as anyone else. So. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I completely agree. It's Phil Foden and, and Jack Grealish. And I've really warmed to Jack Grealish in the past few months, I have to say. Uh, I want him to come to City now just because he's Jack Grealish. <laughs> Never mind what he can put, do on the pitch. Um, okay, well, let's look at the final. Uh, Italy. Hey, San, a lot of hype about them pre-tournament. Um, have they lived up to it, uh, in your opinion? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think they've been... I think they're worthy finalists. I think they've been excellent throughout the tournament. Uh, there's been a lot of shouts that Spain were the much better team uh, in the in the Spain-Italy semi, but I just didn't see it that way. I felt that Italy were really, really dangerous on the break all the way through. And, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna beat that 
Spanish team for possession. So there's not really much point in trying, I think. I think a little bit it made sense for them to to approach it in the way that they did. Um, yeah, Roberto Mancini's done an incredible job, really. I well, I want to ask you about that, Ethan. Um, so, sorry, mate, I want to ask you about Bobby Mank because we asked um, me and Howard talking about it on Wednesday. So, like yourself and Chris's opinion on this, it's kind of a, a pet theory I've got about Bobby Mancini, which is that even City fans view his time in England as, you know, he came in, he was exactly the kind of man that City needed to take us from A to B. He was kind of, you know, hot-headed. He was no-nonsense. He was a born winner. We, we kind of judge him on his character, his personality. Whereas now, maybe, we're all kind of thinking, well, hang on a minute. He's also an exceptional coach, which is probably what we instinctively knew, because obviously we saw all the games, but we never fully recognised. I mean, is that a fair shout, do you think, for, for some Blues, at least? Um, I mean, I'll be honest, my reflection of of uh, of the way that Mancini is viewed is that he's an incredible coach. That, mm. You know, you can't argue with what he did in such a short space of time at City. Now, Mancini is a, certainly at club level, he's been a burn bright, burn fast type of manager, but, you know, kind of burns out quite quickly as well or burns the players out quite quickly. And there was there was definitely an element of of that at City. But no, I don't think he's I think maybe in the I think in the in the wider media or in the wider football community, I don't think enough is made of Mancini's two full first two full seasons. So the FA Cup the the, the season of the FA Cup win and also the uh, the eleven twelve season, just how impressive he the team were, and I mean we played some fantastic football at times, um, and I don't think that's really acknowledged properly. I think I think also because he wasn't actually here for that long. It was what two and a half seasons or three and a half seasons. Um, I, I, I guess that I don't know, and also because it was City. And it was just after the money came in, so there was a very kind of skewed perception of 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 what the team were and what the club were, and you know, there's that that kind of you know cliche that where you you spend loads of money, therefore you must win. It's not impressive to win, which is patently nonsense. Yeah, um, but that's the way certainly city managers are characterized all the time and we do it to a greater or lesser extent as well um so so yeah i mean i i, I don't think he's I, I feel as though you're asking me if he's a bit underrated as a coach from the city point of view and i don't mm. think he is you know like maybe maybe chris or howard would see it differently but for me i think everybody's always acknowledged what a top top coach he is and and what a top job he did um for yeah. most of the time that he was city manager well, I mean, it's not strictly mm, think, underrated. Sorry, Chris, I'll get to you uh, very quickly because mm. I want to know about how you feel about it. But the reason I, I asked this, basically, is, is I had to write about the 10 greatest city coaches recently for this book, and uh, you got 250 words on each. And, and half of my space with Bob Mancini was kind of what he did changing the mentality of the club. You know, he took on Ferguson. He, he, he changed that power dynamic in Manchester. And um, I've just been, you know, I've been writing a mm. lot about Italy during, during the Euros, and what he's done there, it's like, oh my God, why why have I overlooked in the past? 
unbelievable coach he is and, and the, the style yeah. of football that he changed at City and that should be what I'm focusing on. It's not so much that I didn't appreciate it, it's just that I didn't fully, I was diverted by by the other stuff. Um, so Chris, yeah. do, do, do you kind of go along with any of that or, or do you... Yeah, I do. I think it is easy to be that 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 massive cultural shift and that kind of shift that the, the change in the balance of, of of dominance in the city as well as across the league that can mm. obscure what he actually did and i i saw i remember he came in he took over from hughes and he had three days with the players and then we had a game on boxing day against stoke which we won 2-0 and tevez scored the first goal and within three days our bat line was stronger i saw it immediately mm. so 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 as a coach He's very gifted. What I do think, and and for me, he is synonymous with yeah with that the FA Cup with with the title and and yeah taking on Ferguson, but also just just he took us that next step to uh, to establishing us in the elite in the Premier League, which which Hughes just was not capable of doing. Well, what I do think, and this echoes what what Asan says, is that he has a particular style of management that is hyper intense and creates a siege mentality and players must subscribe to fully or the, or they or the, or they they're shown the door and i think that, that there is a certain burnout quality to that um so what you know so when he left city he did slightly go into the wilderness a little bit you know some time in turkey and then, and then st petersburg it's possible that his coaching style is more suited to the international circuit. Yes. Yeah. In that, he, in that he doesn't he doesn't have players every single day throughout the season, he, and so he can't burn them out. But what? But maybe he's a perfect international tournament manager, where for the for, for the for the for the leading time, and then the number of weeks the tournament's happening, those players need that high intensity, that siege mentality mm. to get them to this point, and that and that is that that's the similarity I do see a little bit with 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 it with the his Italian team and the team that, in, that, that Southgate's created is that that you've got players who really believe in themselves. They're, they're in this bubble that, that cannot be burst because they're so confident and he's created that me- mentality. And that's why you've seen them challenged through this... Um, through this tournament you know for me Spain didn't win because they weren't clinical enough in front of goal they had their chances but they weren't clinical enough and Italy managed themselves through through that situation so in some respects I think he is slightly underrated because the headline tends to be about Mancini burning out and moving on and what players say about him but I think he's perfect for the international tournament and, and we're seeing that and that's why if I'm honest despite how good England have been of all the teams to face in the final, Italy was was the one I wanted to avoid mm. because they they are the big. They are going to be so tough to break down. And the, mm. the bad thing is, we've all felt this for some time, haven't we? I mean, I've heard from many, many people. Like as soon as the group games were over, right? Okay, England are in the easy half of the group. As soon as we get past Germany, we should make it to the final, but then we'll lose to Italy. <laughs> so everyone's kind of predicted it to this point. Um, sorry, I said you're about to say something. Yeah, I I, um, I heard a great story about Mancini yesterday. Um, the first team meeting he had when he when he when he became Italy boss uh, it was after they obviously they'd failed to qualify for the last World Cup, and he said at the first team meeting he said I think we can do something special with this group of players, and somebody at the back of the room said you're either a liar or you're mental, <laughs> um, which and I, and I think that it shows. 
more than anything, I think it shows where, where Italy were at that point. Um, and it reinforces what an incredible job he's done because even amongst them, the lack of belief was pretty intense. Uh, and when you look at two or three years later, and I think the fact that the tournament is a year later has probably helped him somewhat because he's had an extra year with them. But the, the time that he's had with the team, it shows in the way that they've performed in this tournament, just what a top coach he is. And I completely agree with Chris that, you know, it, it's probably a lot easier at international level because Mancini's massively charismatic and, you know, he's a very intelligent man. And he, he knows a lot about football and about coaching and about tactics. And it sounds like in many respects, there was almost like a, a, a power battle at City that he was just never going to win, which mm. is just not the case when you're coaching your country's national team. I mean, he's the he's the god of the Italian national team, and he will decide everything. And there will be no power battles, and you know everybody will be right behind him, whatever he wants to do. So, I think, uh, yeah, he's he, he he will have that job for a while. I reckon. I got to be honest. Whoever shouted that out to him in the first meeting has yeah. got balls, so he's <laughs> <laughs> unbelievably stupid. I imagine he's uh, not with yeah. the setup anymore. I was anymore. thinking the very same thing, yes. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I saw Jaylis asked today, well, I think it might have been an article or online somewhere, yeah. Why no one in England took a chance on him after he left City? But I assume what happened behind the scenes in his final year was more common knowledge than it was to us fans at the time. That, yeah. Mm kind of burnt his bridges so much. Uh, but I agree, everything that's been said, he suits international football perhaps because there's no bridges he can burn really. But yeah, when you're just with players for such a short time, if someone, someone uh, gets on the wrong side of him, then he can be replaced a lot easier. So, But I I imagine once he is done with Italy, uh, he will have huge number of offers to go back into club football, which yeah. should be exciting. Well, let's turn our attention to the other side of the dugout then, to Gareth Southgate. Um, Chris, no matter what happens on Sunday, how how do you personally view Gareth Southgate's tournament? Do you know, just going back to the thing about patriotism, I think what I love about it the most is, I think, how English is it that our man, most successful manager in South Ramsby was an accident? Because he was never meant to be the England manager. He was yeah. there by default rather than by, by design. In that, and that Allardyce blew it, and they brought him in temporarily, and, and then he stayed on. So I, I think that's, I think that's quite interesting, really. But I think because of that, because he never put himself forward for it, because he never had that sort of level of ego or, or kind of you know self regard, is I, I like him because, because I don't, I don't see a genius tactician. What what I see a guy that's learning. I see a guy that 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 looks at the players at his disposal. And remember, some of these players in his team are not like the best players in the in the league clubs that, that they play for necessarily. So they don't bring that ego with them, which is that golden generation of two thousand and two. That's what they very much did. And so it was such a, a divided squad there. So I rate him quite highly because he show you know he, he he shows me that he can learn. He shows me that he's prepared to stick to a system and also take some risks within that system. He has a you know he, he's got great leadership skills because he's got he's got this modesty about him. So I have a lot of time for him. I have less time for his failure to 
to start Foden in every game, but that, but that's <laughs> that, that, that's that's kind of another matter. But no, I've got a lot of time from and and I'm delighted England are there. There's a part of me that wishes that they weren't because I'd love to see Mancini win it with Italy because I'm so because I have such affection for him. But it's uh, yeah, I have a it, he's he's been a he's been a great surprise and he's. Um, you know, he he's contradicted a lot of people's uh, perceptions of him and also perceptions of what this this team is capable of. Exactly. How do you think he's going to set up um, on Sunday? Do you think he's going to go over back four, kind of mountain midfield? What, what's your kind of um, feelings about the, the lineup? My uh, my guess, the only potential change is uh, Henderson coming in for one of Phillips or yeah. Wright, but beyond that. I don't really see him changing it because I think that he will look at it and go, I don't need to change. That that 11, I believe, has put in the best performances uh, in the tournament so far. I've seen a lot of shouts that Foden should be starting ahead of Saka. I completely understand them, but I like what Saka brings to the team. I think he's a top player and that team are winning. So, you know, it's... It's the it's the question of do you change your winning team and and I I guess looking at this right now I wouldn't change it I, I you know I would give I would give the players who who beat Denmark the opportunity to uh, to play in the final um, to shout all you want about Foden he isn't starting so. no if Henson no, starts. You know, can I say something? I'm everybody will know that after Sterling, I'm Foden's biggest fan, right? Um, but I, I feel almost as though, like, I don't know. I guess, I guess the way that the way that I view it is, Foden's done okay in in all the minutes that he's had, but in some respects, I feel Saka has done more, and I feel as though he's been better at running in behind um and yeah i mean i i'm i'm okay with that as a decision i don't this isn't phil foden's last england tournament do you know what i mean he's only just broken into the man city team this season of course the blue in me wants to see him play every minute just because i love watching phil foden play football but whilst england are winning I can't get too upset yeah. about a 19, 20 year old Phil chilling on the bench and watching and getting hungrier from watching these players play. And also from learning from watching Saka play in that position, because, you know, they are very different players. And I think that he, Saka definitely brings something that I think if Phil brought, he'd, he'd, he'd be in that team. And weirdly enough, I think that, Having played so much on the left, I think if the position that was up for grabs was the one on the left-hand side, I think he would have nailed that down because I think that he's grown into that very direct wide forward on the left where he'll he'll stand the fullback up and run at them. Um, and I think on the right, he's been a little bit more prone to, to coming back into midfield, dropping a little bit deeper. Um, yeah, I mean, just maybe not quite having... And that, I think that's the other thing that, you know... We're quite conservative in that we play more or less with a double pivot or however you want to characterize it. So there's a lot on those guys to be, uh, to be very direct and, and, and try and create things. And again, I'm not saying that Saka is a more creative player than, than, than Foden. I think actually 
the position is Mount or Foden for me because I'd love to see Foden given a chance in that nominal number 10 position. But Southgate has nailed his colours to Mason Mount's mast and I understand why as well because Mount hasn't done a lot wrong. So, yeah. Uh, as you've so. said, though, at this stage, I'm all like, I would even argue that uh, Foden shouldn't start because I don't think it's the time to be making significant changes to the side. Mm. Uh, it's unlikely and the, the, it's probably unwise. And, uh, my only concern is it could be Henderson in for someone like Mount if he, because I know it's a cliche to say it would be won in or lost in midfield, but I don't know that he may just want Henderson's nous. And, I don't think so. I, yeah, I think- I, I'm not saying it's likely. It's just a creeping suspicion that he would do. It, I yeah, think, I don't, yeah, I'm not saying I don't think he will, but it, it's one of those options. He may go over cautious, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, I I think, mean, the, uh, the only other I, thing I, is really three or four at the back, but yeah. yeah. Otherwise, I don't I, think I, I, I don't think you should change much, to be honest. I can't see Henderson starting. I still don't think if he's got. I don't even know if he's got ninety minutes. I mean, no, the one thing, not. obviously, my, my yeah, my my, my Foden allegiance is because he's a blue, and the same as Ace, I love to watch him play. But what I think the narrative of the Denmark game is very interesting. Is Saka started and he wore out that 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 left hand side of the Danish. Yeah. Defense. He was twisting the blood of that left back, which and drew players across to him, which gave um, which gave uh, Kane and, and Sterling a little bit more space. But then, when we needed to find that equal, like you know, when we're pushing for an equaliser, Grealish comes on. I'm still unconvinced by what Grealish actually has contributed to the England team. I, th- I think it's slightly overhyped. Um, but then Foden comes on when we really need to. St- be pushing and unpicking the the, the, the door that the, the the Danes put forward. So I think I think Southgate's clear on what Foden's strengths are um, when playing for England, and that's probably why he doesn't start him because he can bring mm-hmm. him in. He can has more impact as a substitute. Um, so yeah, and I agree with Asan. It's like you know, yeah, Foden will play for England again, and that's going to be really interesting. I, I'm really excited to see, even if they don't win the final, is to see the impact on these players individually and collectively of how they will then view the next international tournament, the next World Cup, because the expectation will still be high from the country, but the belief in what that can be achieved will massively will take a massive shift for those players and for Southgate as well. I think that's probably the most, even if we don't win, it's so encouraging to see they believe that they should be in the family, they believe that they can win it as well. And I always think that's been a, a kind of something on the underbelly of belief that's never really been there. Yeah, that, just to think on Henderson, I know you're right, probably haven't got 90 minutes in him, but I thought what could be key to this game is like it has been in many previous games is I've seen large swathes of uh, substitutions in matches and it's the substitutions around the 60, 70 minute mark that may mm. be just as crucial as to how which teams start this match. So again, it's down to how he utilises, not, it's not just the first 11, but about 15 players could be, you know, for both managers is key to how this game may play out. Uh, but mm. I do see it being, I mean, obviously both managers will worry about each the other one, which is, Normal. They're in a final. They're not, not going to have an easy match. I do think it. I still think it will be quite a cautious game, at least at the start, because Italy's will be happy to sit deep and will look for a counter attack. Gareth Southgate will know about that counter attack, much like a Pep liked. He will want control and he will want to stifle any chances of a counter attack. So I don't know how that plays out. It might not be a classic football match, to be honest. What about scoreline, Howard? What, what are you uh, predicting for a score? Oh, God. 
I think there's a, I think there's a fair chance this goes to extra time. Mm. So I will I'll be patriotic. <laughs> That's the only patriotic person here. Uh, joke. Two one to England in extra time. Two one to England. So okay. Uh, Asa, how do you see the game playing out and uh, kind of score prediction? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm not as pessimistic as as I should be. Really, I think that England have. I think in Sterling, Kane, Saka, and Mason Mount, uh, I think they have players that can and will cause Italy a lot of problems. Um, I think that, you know, like Howard said, it's a bit of a cliche that it'll be won or lost in midfield, but a little bit, it's going to come down to how we handle. I don't think it's wise to give up loads of the ball to Verratti and Jorginho and let them dictate the the tempo of the game. Um, So I think that a lot is going to be put on Phillips and whether it's Kane who drops or whether it's Rice who who try. No, I mean Rice ain't really going to press too high up the pitch. So it's really going to be about Phillips and Mount how they how they deal with um, how they deal with those guys. And I think the other thing that we have to be very careful of is how we deal with uh, Italy in their transitions. Because I think on the counter attack, I think they are very dangerous and they will be very dangerous. Um, and I, I personally, it'd be interesting to see what Southgate has made of Italy and and how to cope with them and how to handle them. Because I felt as though the thing that Spain did right was to try and press them high up the pitch and force them to play the ball long uh, because they want to try and get the ball on the ground and play football. And if you can disrupt their their build-up and their passing, force them to go long, you'll control large parts of the game. Um, And we've done... We have in moments in games... Uh, pressed quite well. This 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 England this England side have, um, yeah. And I think the other thing for me is that uh, quietly, what's impressed me certainly when when we've got to the knockout stage of, of of these Euros is that England have had moments of suffering in all the games. Like if you think, think the first ten against Germany, um, there was plenty of of uh, uh, of moments in the uh, in the first half of the of the Denmark game. Certainly after the goal, and even uh, a little bit before it, where it felt like they were, you know, that England was suffering a little bit. And I think that to you have to suffer in moments to win big tournaments, and you have to have the mentality to be able to suffer. And I think that's the thing that I look at England, Italy, and I go, well, if England can show the the patience in the moments when they are suffering against Italy, then I think they've got more up top to uh, to beat Italy. Fair enough. Uh, score prediction? Mm, I have no idea, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, I will go out on a limb and say it will be settled in 90 minutes. I think so. I think it's going to be Just one nil England. Don't go. What? Don't go to penalties, please. No, no. <laughs> I, I um, do think the press just very quickly stays out because I know time. Yeah. So the SS, I do think the press is is a vital part of this game. England are going to have to press big because I think Italy's press will be on point, and it was Denmark pressing that unsettled England for about fifteen minutes uh, at least in you know, that first half of the game, I do worry, because it's not the most technical of midfields we have, that a, a good press from Italy will 
end up with us hoofing the ball long again and panicking mm. a bit. So I think England have to press back and do the same to Italy that they will undoubtedly do to us. So. Mm. One thing I would one thing I would say to counter that, Howard, is that I actually think that uh, one of the ways in which England have been really dangerous is when teams do try to press. Yeah, uh, when Pickford's kicking is accurate, it can cause real problems because if Sterling and Kane have space because Italy are trying to press us high up the pitch and the out ball is there and they can get it out there, then I don't I don't fancy Chiellini, Benucci, Emerson and whoever the the the, the right back will be. I really don't fancy them to be handling Kane, Saka and Sterling running at them, particularly, particularly if they're spacing behind. Well, with Spinozola, I think Emerson has left gaps behind him. So, Saka, yeah, we could use our energy to get behind. Let's not forget. I don't think the two hundred-year-old central defenders will be doing too high a line. I don't know, but uh, unfortunately, I mean that you've got to say that's a weak point when they're so old. But the Nelson experience pretty much negates their age. Doesn't yeah, but you know what? I'll I'll say something. I, I thought that they were. Uh, um, they defended really poorly uh, to let Spain back into the uh, back into the game, and I felt that in particular on Morata's goal, like they were just so, like they, they basically um, Italy d- didn't know what to do with Olmo dropping off and being a false nine, right? And I think yeah. that they the two the two centre backs they want to stay as close to their goalkeeper as they possibly can they don't really want to be getting sucked out and I think that again if they play like I'm not I'm not trying to be overconfident but I just think that England can exploit that if Benucci and, and Chiellini decide that they want to stand on the edge of Italy's box and try and do a thou shall not pass well we saw with Murata's goal yeah that you only need a little bit of good movement and one good pass and you'll get in behind them because they ain't mobile um, and they, they're not agile. So I think that, you know, that there is a lot for, there is a lot for, for Southgate to be able to look at and go, you know what? There are weaknesses here that we can definitely exploit, both in terms of whether Italy play with a high press or whether Italy decide that the defensive line is going to be dropped really deep. Uh, Chris, it's, was, it's, it's, it's very true that the um, the Italian uh, centre halves are playing in another decade. They look like they're playing from the nineteen nineties. Um, <laughs> just you know, they're, they're just they're just not the kind of players that, as Aitan says, that do progress. There is something that I think that whilst there has been some fragility with Italy in more recent games, what's really critical. And it's such a cliche to say, but it's so important. Is England? If you look at chances, we don't create a huge amount of chances. We have to take them against Italy. We, we just, you know, it's, we, and I know it sounds it sounds so elementary, but it's so true because at a certain point, like if Italy concede one goal in a game, um, they don't then tend to concede anymore, and I think they do then lock up. So we just need if we create those chances and get behind, we have to take them. But also, there is a big a big important thing with the Italian with playing the Italians is is get get yourself into the box and and. And encourage them to foul because, and that's why I think Sterling Sterling can play such a significant role on Sunday. Get in the box where they don't like it and make them make a challenge because when they're at that point, that's the only tactic that they have left. Um, I just, and I hate to say it, and I hope I'm wrong, but I just my my 
my head just says Italy will win. And I hope I'm wrong. And my heart is saying something else. And I think it might hmm. go to extra time. And I'll be it honest. Might, if it goes to... Pe- it's one of those games that's impossible to predict, I think. So. Yeah, it really it really is. It, it's just about international experience and that, that kind of legacy of it. I don't know. But then, you know, it's it's crazier things have happened. It just it feels so difficult to call. And that's a good thing. And that's how I think Southgate will look at it. He'll be thinking this is going to be a massive 90 minutes where the players cannot switch off for one second. I think we can safely say it's going to be under 2.5 goals um, in the 90 minutes because <laughs> you're looking at the defences, uh, both of them are, have been phenomenal and their, their tra- track record in recent times for both have been incredible. Um, and, and you look at three of the last four Euro finals have finished 1-0 as well. So it's it's 1-0 for me. Um, all right, chaps, thank you very much for joining me today ahead of one of the biggest games of our lives, really. Um, thank you very much, Asa. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, mate. Thanks, Harry. <coughs> Uh, yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, dear. Thanks, guys. Pleasure as always. And um, that's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to buy some laser pens should it go to penalties <laughs> on Sunday. They, they work for the tally, right? In the meantime, take care, everyone. Be well. And come on, England. Bring it home. <laughs>